Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, Fee here with another re-release. So this week we are going back to another one of our listener questions episode. We've only done the two. Uh, the last one being quite recently, but this one was done quite early on from when we started the podcast, and uh, there's some really great questions in there. I was re-listening to it today. There's questions on jockeys, tracks, form, so sit back and enjoy as we answer your guys' questions, and there's definitely lots to learn in this episode. If you like this episode, please make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast wherever you listen to it, and leave us a review or a rating because that's how other people find our podcast and is very helpful to us. Okay, now for the show. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are at episode 10, double digits. Wow, that's gone so fast. And here with me this week, like every other week, is Grace Ramage. Hi, Grace. Back again, Fee. Yes, episode 10. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a whirlwind. When you look back at what we've covered uh, in 10 episodes, it's actually been quite a lot. But I'm really excited about today's episode, Fee, because we're going to be listening to the questions that people still have. So everybody out there, all of you that listen each and every week, you know, there might still be topics that we skim over or leave you still a little bit confused. And that's why we've put open on our socials for the opportunity for our audience to ask us questions. And we'll be clearing those up today. Yeah, it's going to be great just to cover some of the things we didn't quite explain well enough the first time. And then after we've done that, we will be doing a form preview of the group racing at Eagle Farm this Saturday. So Eagle Farm is one of the metropolitan tracks in Brisbane. So last week we looked at the Goodwood Day at Morfordville in Adelaide. Well, we're turning our attention up north now. We're in Queensland. Um, And this race meeting at Eagle Farm is one of the big race meetings for their winter carnival or sort of the back end of their autumn carnival. What's interesting is that last Saturday, we all woke up expecting to have the Doombin Cup run at Doombin at Group 1 level, where Zaki is the short price favourite, wait for age race. But those races did not take place because the whole race meeting was postponed. The race course was completely underwater. So they've just tacked on the Doombin Cup to this Eagle Farm meeting. So Uh, Zaki will be running there and it means that we've got three group ones on the day at Eagle Farm so it is an outstanding day's racing and there's so much to look at in terms of who we like on what's a really high quality card. 
Yeah, looking forward to that. And just as it's our 10th episode, just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who is tuning in. Absolutely. We have slowly picked up quite a few listeners over these 10 episodes. And Grace, you were at an event last week for Girls Go Racing and you met quite a few new listeners there who said they would check out the podcast. So welcome to all of those ladies. Yeah, there were so many people there that hadn't heard of our podcast, Ladies Who Punt, but then there were also lots of people that came up to me and uh, wanted to tell us how much they have learned and that they're really enjoying the content that we're bringing um so thank you so much to everybody out there that listens and even if this is your first time listening welcome because there's plenty more to come definitely and make sure you keep sharing the podcast with those who are nearest and dearest who you think will benefit from listening to ladies who punt right well let's get straight into it with our listener questions Question number one. So this is a question that we received on our Jockeys episode. It's from Georgia. And she asks, how much does having an apprentice on sway your punting decisions? Yeah, so this goes back to our episode where we had Laura Lafferty as our special guest who is an apprentice. And apprentices, of course, allow weight relief based on how successful they've been, how many winners they've ridden um, off a horse's allocated weight to make it more desirable to use apprentices in a race for trainers and connections. So in answering George's question, um, it's an interesting one. Having an apprentice, obviously, it's got great benefit in terms of um, taking weight off a horse. So for me, it's very much dependent on the horse. And I suppose you need to know the horse that an apprentice might be riding, which can be tricky just from looking at a form guide you know there are some horses that are particularly small and lightly framed and if they've got 60 kilograms well you know that horse might not actually do well carrying that weight and they might try and find an apprentice to bring the weight down Um, but then there are other horses that are just really sensible they know what their job is um, and they'll be you know relatively simple for an apprentice jockey or an inexperienced jockey just starting their careers uh, to ride them and to ride them to the best of both the horse and the jockey's ability. So I suppose when it comes to my punting decisions, all in all, um, you know, you'd be looking at the horse and whether the horse is a really quirky one or whether he is relatively straightforward. And if he's a very quirky one, then that might be a little bit of a question mark. But, you know, On the whole, I think uh, having an apprentice on is actually a great benefit with the weight relief that that you get. Definitely with a horse that might have been close in the finishing for the previous two or three runs and then now it's got an apprentice on and it could just give the horse that little bit of an edge, like it could be an encouraging sign in some cases that now it gets two to three kilos off, that's going to really help it just get across the line. Yeah, really good point. And also something I'll just mention um, when we're looking at the way that markets move, um, which is a whole nother topic, but one of the things that punters really like to see and, you you know, is a big tick in terms of who they're going to be backing is when uh, a horse might be already on the minimum, but then the trainer uh, puts an apprentice on and that actually drops, the weight drops below the minimum claiming under the minimum under the minimum is what that is called and you know that means that the weight spread might be 59 kilograms to 54 but now it's 59 to 51 that horse gets in significantly better at the weights and that becomes really appealing to punters so that's another little interesting one claiming under the minimum 
Our next question is from Mark. Shout out to Mark. He is one of our most engaged listeners. We <laughs> love getting his feedback on our socials. And he asks, should track ratings just be fast, good, slow, heavy with no numbers attached? Really interesting question because it's a it's one that's always up for debate and everybody's got a different opinion. Because I suppose the way it works at the moment is that we've got the numbers attached. Um, one to ten. One to ten, firm to heavy. But a lot of trainers especially think that that can be really quite ambiguous. You know, what is the difference between a good four and a soft five? It can be hard to actually um, have like a unanimous guide across all tracks of what is a good four and what is a soft five every track is different they're made of different soils and different grass so I suppose a lot of trainers out there and and certain people within the racing industry think that it might be better just to have the rate uh, just to have the name of you know what the track is classed fast good slow heavy so I don't really have an opinion either way for me because at the end of the day when I'm doing form if I see it's a heavy nine and then it gets upgraded to a heavy 10. Well, to me, you need a wet tracker regardless. Mm. If it's a, a good four and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a soft five, it's much of a muchness. So when I'm doing form and I'm looking for who the winner might be, um, you know, unless it's a good four to a heavy, which you need a lot of rain for that to happen. And even still, it's such significant rain that you can see clearly that it's become quite wet. So for me, look, it's not it's not too much of a problem, but I know that there are people out there that, thinks, that think that track ratings could be done a lot more simply. Thanks for answering that one for us, Grace. The next question is from Chelsea. She asks on tracks again, can you tell us more about how to tell what sort of a track a horse likes? I feel like this is a very topical one with with racing in uh, Queensland this weekend. Definitely. And also just going into the winter, we're going to have lots of horses on wet tracks. And the question is, well, will my horse handle it? So to answer Chelsea's question, I suppose the first thing is with some horses, you just don't know until they've been on it. So... Obviously, looking at your form guide and seeing the soft track form or the heavy track form is going to be the starting point for working out whether a horse is going to to like a wet track. Uh, And conversely, if you're looking for what likes a a firm track, you know, a good track, again, you're looking to see what the record is on that sort of track. But then for horses that have never been on the sort of track that you're looking at, it can get quite confusing. Obviously, sometimes there will be the opportunity to hear from the trainer pre-race or, you know, find an article of the horse where the trainer says the horse has never been on a wet track, but we've trialed the horse on the wet track or he's done his final gallop on the wet track and he seemed to go through it really well. But even still, there's some sort of a question mark. I guess with the trainers, like trainers who know their horses aren't going to handle a heavy probably won't run them on a heavy. They might be trying them for the first time and if you look at their form and you can't see any races where they've run on a heavy track, then yeah, they might be untried. But most trainers won't run a horse on a wet ground if they mm. know they don't handle it because yeah. it's it's a big ask on a horse. It's really challenging conditions and you can set them back for their whole preparation just by running them once on a heavy track. Yeah, you're so right. If if a trainer knows, they're not even going to bother. Mm. And we've got synthetic racing through the winter here. So that is an all-weather surface that doesn't matter how much rain it gets, it's always basically the same um so if you see that there are horses that are racing on the synthetic it's because they don't handle the wet tracks that's a really good guide as well another thing is it's sort of like one of those things that you can that people say that with a horse's action actually two things 
one of them is a horse's action. Um, horses that have got really short, sharp little stabby actions. They, it, it's, it's one of those wives' tales, I suppose, that they get through wet, tra- wet ground better. And I suppose sometimes you can see that they're just really skipping through it. You know, they're just skipping above it. They're just going so fast. Their, their legs are moving so fast that they're just getting through it really well. The other one is big feet. <laughs> and I suppose that might be like a paddle or something. Yeah, shovels. Yeah, a shovel. So if, <laughs> if you've got a horse that's got really big feet, really big hooves, uh, they can get through the mud better than a horse with little dainty feet. That's another one. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure, Fee. What do you think about uh, that? I agree. There are people in the horse industry that have like foot fetishes with horses. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they just love horses with big feet. Yeah. <laughs> And like people become obsessed by feet with horses. And uh, I have to say, I think I'm one of them. I love a nice foot on a horse. Wow. (laughs) So um, I think that's a good point. You know, like good feet can help you get through the wet. Definitely. And that might be a whole nother topic in itself. Foot fetishes of the the bloodstock world in the horse racing industry. Yep, we'll get to that in time. Um, I also just want to say one more thing, which is important for everybody looking at winter racing on wet tracks and it's a lesson that's come to light to me again only in the last couple of weeks and it's when you've got a horse that's won or raced really well on a heavy track and then they go to a good track or or a track that's drier than what they've just raced on it's a bit of a query Mm. it's it's not a concern but you have to remember that some horses just absolutely love wet tracks because the softer tracks can be more forgiving um, on their legs and on their joints and they just absolutely love those conditions, whereas they might not love a drier track as much. So that's a really important one. It's not a concern, but it's definitely something to consider. If you see a heavy 10 track to a good four track, just know that the horse might not perform as well as it did on the heavy track. The next question is from Tom. Can you explain how trainers place horses within a preparation? This was a question that's come up uh, a few times, so a good one to answer. It's a it's a really good question, and I suppose this is almost one that needs a topic uh, on its own, and we'll probably get to that because the whole world of training racehorses, you know, one of the key aspects of that is making sure that your horses are in the right races and sort of setting out, mapping out some goals or, you know, a, a a pathway for your horse to follow through throughout you know the preparation which might last a couple of months a bit longer a bit less depending on how the horse is going so I think we'll do a full episode on this fee at one stage we might even get in a special guest trainer Mm. to help us decode that topic but for now to answer the question it definitely starts with knowing your horse in the first place. So you might be um, placing a horse within a preparation that is, you know, just a, a country galloper, sort of racing in benchmark 64s. That horse might be one that you don't worry about looking at metropolitan races on the weekend just yet. Instead, you're going to look to see suitable races based on his handicap rating where he doesn't get too much weight, but also it is in with a really good chance of winning. So, um you know, you're basically looking at what's available. There are calendars that trainers use that Racing Victoria provide with every single race on every day at every track. And you can easily just sort of say, right, well, my horse is a benchmark 64 horse. So here are all the benchmark 64s over 1200 meters. I've got one on this day and one on that day, and I'll choose the best one. Or I'll see how my horse is going and I'll work out which one I think he should be going to. That's basically what you do, um, you know, on a weekly basis when it comes 
on a daily basis. But when it comes to the stakes horses and, you know, the the Zakis and the proper group one horses, that's probably more of one where you actually sit down before the horse comes back into training or early days of the horse coming back into training and think, okay, we've got a stakes horse here. Where do we start and where do we end up? What's our main goal? And map your pathway towards that race. So it's a discussion. Again, you've got your calendar, which lists all the races that are on offer for your horse in its grade, and you pick the right ones. And obviously, as we all know, in racing and in this sport, there is never a right or a wrong. So you're always making changes and you're thinking, hmm, that didn't go to plan. I might try this instead. And you're tweaking it along the way. But that's basically how it works. And you always want your horse to be progressing as he gets fitter and deeper into his campaign. Yeah, so for the horses going through the grades, a great saying is to keep yourself in the best company and your horses in the worst. So you want to pick the weakest races for your horse at every stage through the rating system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, Grace, with your top horses, sometimes you can pick out their grand final as the the final race of their prep and then map backwards mm-hmm. because once you have a good horse, you generally know what kind of spacing they like between their runs, how many runs in they hit their peak. And so you can start with the the final race where you want them hitting their peak and work backwards. Yeah, and some horses, you know, with the tweaking as well, um, you know, trainers will always look at the horse to let the horse dictate what happens next. So after the race, maybe um, the horse has bounced out and is, you know, so feeling so fresh and like he hasn't even had a run at all. They might think, okay, well, this horse is clearly recovered in exceptional manner we can look to find a race within the next two weeks and he'll be totally fine on the other side maybe they'll be thinking oh he left a little bit of feed let's maybe wait three weeks before we race him again but again it's one of those daily things that trainers do looking at the calendar seeing what's available uh, placing their horses in the best races as you say fee So the last question we're going to cover today is from Sam. And this is a great one for you, Grace, because he would like to know more about times and sectional data. Hmm. Okay. So this is a topic that's actually come up or a question, I suppose, that's come up a few times that people would like to understand more about sectional data and and times of the sport, which makes a lot of sense because firstly, a lot of the commentators in this sport, if you're watching the coverage, they'll be talking about sectionals and times a lot. So I can understand, like, if you don't know about it, you're thinking, what are they talking about? I'd like to make more sense of that, please. So that makes sense. Putting all that aside, we're definitely doing a topic on this because it's uh, there's a lot to decode. Like, there's a lot of moving parts with it and a lot to understand. So we'll definitely be doing a topic on this, Sam, and anyone else that wants to know more about sectional data and and the timing of the sport but what I can tell you just a couple of little things that might interest you until then and that is a second in a race is approximately six or seven lengths so if you have a horse if you've got the first race on on the day which is run and one in 58 seconds and then the second race is over the exact same distance, run in 59 seconds, so one, one second difference. The horse of the first race has run one second faster, which equates to six to seven lengths faster. You can start to understand the class of a horse and the actual performance of 
the winner rather than just visually, you know, assessing it on, on how you think it looks. And bearing that in mind, um, another thing that's really key to sectional timing is that it's all relative to the day. Because we know that every track is different or track ratings, one day is wet, one day is firm, it changes. Rail movements change. There's so much that changes that you really can't compare one race one day to another race another day at a different track. It generally has to be relative to the day. So it's something that you can start to look at before we do the episode, just the times of the races that are happening on a day. And especially if they are over the same distance, you can see which one's faster, which one's slower, and then think why. Was there a faster lead speed in the faster one? Was the winner of one of the races just simply way too good and looks to be a really progressive horse? These are just some little questions that, or little things that you can start looking at before we get to the big episode about sectional timing. So that's it for our questions this week. It's time now to move on to our form preview at Eagle Farm. And uh, we'll be doing things a little bit differently this week because for once I'm organised enough with my own form, which Yay. is... Uh, yeah, it was really fun to sit down and just have a go. And Grace is obviously our form expert. She's a form analyst. I'm more probably like our general listener. I don't study form very often. In fact, that's probably the most I've studied form ever (laughs) today. So (laughs) I'm uh, interested to see how I go. And hopefully um, this is helpful to people who are on the same level as me to see some to see me do it okay so I want to know Fee um because it's great you're you know like so many of our listeners how did you do your form so what what website did you use sort of what was your method to coming up with who you liked in the races that we're covering so I used two websites I used Racing Australia which Mm -hmm. has all of the races and quite good like form segments on every horse um, and then I compared that to the market on sports bet. Mm-hmm. So just to make sure that my I wasn't picking a horse that was, you know, 100 to 1, yep. thinking, oh, yeah, this one looks good. Yep. Um, yeah, I just sort of compared the two. Racing Australia is a fantastic website to, to just look at form. I find it a lot more straightforward than the punting websites. Yep. And it has just like the basic data that you need to – to basically see how how a horse is going. Absolutely. It's so straightforward, isn't it, when you go to Racing Australia, um, the way that it's presented. Mm. You can even click on gear changes on the race meeting and it lists all of the gear changes for every horse in, in the whole program. So I agree. Racing Australia is really good. Racing.com website's also good. And that's one that we're going to use when we talk about sectionals because they now break down um, sectional timing. So we'll get to that racing.com the website a little bit later as well but I love using Racing Australia as well so that's very good fee I'm excited to get through this first of all let's take a look at Eagle Farm as a track how does it race is it a tight turn like Mooney Valley or quite a long straight what kind of a track is it it's actually got quite a long straight Um, I think it's got a 400 meter straight so it's literally opposite it's across the road from Doombin so there are two racetracks in Brisbane and they're like right next to each other Um, but the interesting thing about Eagle Farm so it's a fair track I think to race at the interesting thing about the surface itself the grass is that it's, it's been recently renovated and it drains really well. 
So sort of like Flemington drains exceptionally well. I remember one Melbourne Cup day, Flemington had 40 mils and was back to a good fall within like an hour. It was ridiculous. So Eagle Farm's a bit the same. So while Doombin is underwater, Eagle Farm drains so well that we're probably going to be on a soft track. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the rating at this stage, um, it'll at this stage, but I think we're safe to say it's going to be in the soft range. It's not going to be the heavy track that we saw at Doombin last time or that we've been seeing so much of in Sydney all through their autumn carnival. Okay, Grace, we are going to start with race five, the Group 1 Doombin Cup, over 2,100 metres, a standard wait-for-age race. Uh, this was the one that was postponed from last week due to the wet weather. So here we have it this week and we have Zaki. Short price favourite. What, what are your thoughts on this race? Well, I think that the fact that we're not racing at Doombin last week on what would have been a bottomless track is a huge win for Zaki. Zaki is probably the best weight for age horse in Australia at the moment, I would say. It's probably debatable, but he's just so bomb proof. He keeps winning everything. He was scratched on Cox Plate morning as the favourite in the spring could have won that race I guess we'll see him in the spring this time in those big races but he's just so bomb proof and he won the Hollandale Stakes at the Gold Coast last start on a heavy eight track that was a group two level and he was only a narrow second in one of the best weight for age races in Australia the Queen Elizabeth Stakes two starts ago again on a heavy 10 but the thing about Zaki is that he doesn't necessarily like wet tracks the runs that he's put up he's had a win and a narrow second but they're rating down on what he does on a good track so he's actually better and more dominant on drier surfaces so that's why I say I think it's a big win for Zaki that we're at Eagle Farm this Saturday where it's likely going to be in the soft range is a dollar 45 favorite I think, so short. I think he'll win because he's the best weight for age horse in Australia. Um, but at $1.45 in terms of it being a betting proposition, absolutely not. Like mm. there's just no point in taking that shorter price in my opinion. You have to have too much on to get, you know, something back and just what's the point? There's so much more fun to be had out there. Too short for me as well. And, you know, Zaki's so good that I'm just not confident enough to back anyone around no, him. Absolutely. So it's just a no bet race for me. You probably could have a look to see if there's an each way bet yeah. to finish second or third maybe. Any thoughts there? Well, maybe Yonkers might be the one that could be the each way bet um, at 30 to 1 because he's been racing really well and I love barrier one for him. He can camp just behind the speed. He can basically stalk Zaki wherever he goes because from barrier 10, Zaki loves to lead and sort of dictate and just bowl along. So James McDonald aboard Zaki will zoom across, take up the lead and Yonkers can be just behind him. So probably for the horse at the each way price, so you're still getting $4.60 the place about Yonkers, he's probably the one to fill second or third and get some, make some money out of the race. What did you think, Fee? Did you have an opinion? I really didn't. I just sort of saw Zaki and was like, put a line through the race. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I completely agree. It's just one of those races. But a great contest and we can't wait to see him. But this is what we call a popcorn race. Mm. So you just watch it and enjoy it and be entertained by an absolute freak of a racehorse. Right. But you don't have to have a bet. Next race we're going to look at as race eight, the Group 1 Queensland Derby, 2,400 metres for the three-year-olds as it's a derby and set weights again. 
So this weekend at Eagle Farm, it's almost like uh, a weekend at Ellerslie in New Zealand. There's that many Kiwis here represented. It's very exciting for me. There are Kiwis galore. I don't know which one you're going to pick, but I bet you're going to, going to pick something. Uh, of but they genuinely, I mean, New Zealand is known for breeding elite stayers, mm-hmm. especially in the three-year-old ranks. So this race that we're looking at is the Queensland Derby for three-year-olds over 2,400 metres on a soft track. Like that's ticking a lot of the, the New Zealand boxes. Mm-hmm. So that's why there are so many of them in this race. So we've gone from Zaki being a dollar forty-five favourite in one group one to now a race where it's $4.20 the field, which means the favourite is $4.20 and the rest are longer. But so competitive and it makes my head hurt trying to work out who the winner is for because we've got horses like the favourite Dark Destroyer, for example, who's coming through the rough habit plate last start at Eagle Farm on a heavy eight. And he loved that track. But there are other horses that absolutely hated it that day and now will go better on a soft track, not so waterlogged. So it really is a tricky race to try and work it out because there are so many forgive runs recently and there are so many horses that love the wet track that now might not like a drier track as much. So Dark Destroyer was great winning the rough habit plate last start. He came from a long way back. If you go watch the replay, the race caller couldn't see them through the middle stages. It was blizzard conditions. It was so wet and so soggy, but he obviously relished those conditions and is a really good stayer. He gets out to the 2,400 metres. I think he definitely deserves to be favourite, but there's just so many horses that I just don't know because they've been disappointing last start, but it's probably not a true reflection of their ability. It was just the track and the conditions. Yeah, I mean, Dark Destroyer, though, he has won on a good surface yep. back home in New Zealand, so he is pretty versatile, which, mm-hmm. again, is why he's the favourite. He's definitely on top for me. I think $4 is not too short to have a win bet for me. Um, but I also really liked Pinarello. Mm. He's a last start winner in New Zealand in a group two over 2,100 metres, so distance doesn't worry me. Group two in New Zealand is a little bit lower class than a group two here in Australia. So this is his Australian debut, which I guess could make you a little bit nervous. From looking at the form, to me, he was the next best qualified after Dark Destroyer. What do Mm -hmm. you think, Grace? Interestingly with Pinarello, he was actually accepted to run in that Dark Destroyer race two weeks ago, I think it was. He was here in Australia, he was ready to run, but Connections decided to scratch him probably because of the heavy track. Mm. So what that tells us is that this is a horse that actually definitely goes better on drier surfaces and he's going to get that this Saturday. So that's, that's really encouraging to me to have that situation and know that the trainers know exactly what this horse needs their only concern is barrier 20 yeah barrier 20 is very wide (laughs) it's very wide it's a big field um he'll likely get back i would say um but he could just be the class stayer that's the thing about barriers in races where you're getting out to 2400 meters a fair few of the horses will just be challenged by the the distance Mm. so if you're a really elite stayer of the of the bunch doesn't really matter where you've drawn you're going to be the one that's you know surging through the line so I I have no opinion on Pinarello because I I just don't know enough about him but I definitely understand what you're saying he brings over really good form like he's won three of six races and placed on another two occasions he's very progressive I like I like what you've done there Fee. Who did you like Grace? I had Dark Destroyer as my on top selection in this race 
as well, purely off the strength of his victory last start, the fact that he does have good track form as well. So he's versatile, as you said. But, you know, I agree, $4.20 is probably a good price to have a bet. But there's too many unknowns here. Mm. Like Pinarello for me is an unknown because I just – I just don't know how he's going to measure up. So generally when there are when there are plenty of unknowns in a race, I like to stay out. So it would be a no bet for race for me as well. Sorry, everybody. There's more to come. So let's go to the next group one. It's race nine, the Kingsford Smith, 1,300 metres, wait for age for three-year-olds and up. Grace, can you just quickly explain to me the wait for age system again? So there's three different weights in this race. There's a few horses at 59, a few horses at 57, and then one horse at 55 kilos. So how are they allocated those weights based on their age? So weight for age is the top tier class of racing. It means that your handicap is too high to race in any handicap races, ratings-based races. So you're forced to run in weight for age events. Um, that's the general rule. You can still run in a weight for age race with a low rating, but you're going to be very poorly weighted against some of those very elegance of the world. So the way the weight for age scale works is that you are allocated a weight based on your age. And if you are a mare, you will get a two kilo allowance on your uh, male counterpart at that same age. So for example, we're looking at Paul Laley here, number 13. He is a three-year-old colt. He's got 57 kilograms. Jamea is a three-year-old filly. She has got 55 kilograms. And uh, all of those horses that are on 59 would be above four years old. If you're on Sierra Sue is a four-year-old mare, so she gets 57. Thank you. That cleared that up very well. So our favorite in this race is another Kiwi horse in the Tiakau colors. On Trivier. On Trivier. Oh, there's actually two at the same price. There's Entrevier and Paul Laley, both at $4.50 when we're recording. Who do you prefer out of these two, Grace? Well, I love this race. I think there are bets galore, so let's get into it. Entrevier was my tip and the horse that I backed last start. And from near last, I think she was $13 into $7. From near last, she is absolutely launched at the line and was beaten less than a length by Mazu and also Paul Laley in the Group 1 Doombin 10,000, which was run two weeks ago. It was a huge run from Entrevier on that wet track. So I really like her again today, but Barrier 17, I wish that she'd drawn Barrier 7 or 8 or something where she didn't have to make a decision. So if she drew a, a lower barrier, like Barrier 7 or 8, she could just sit midfield doing no work. But from Barrier 17, Opie Bosson, who's the best rider in New Zealand and the the stable rider for Tiaka Racing in these big feature races, he has to decide what to do. And for Entrevier, it's likely that he's going to have to go back and try and get an economical run somewhere toward the rear of the field. But that's what brought her undone last start. She was clearly the run of the race, but she just had too much work to do, too much ground to make up to actually win. So it is a little bit of a concern, but I love the slight step up in distance to 1,300 metres for her. And she's obviously thriving being back in Australia now. Um, she's at $4.50. I definitely think that she deserves a win bet based on the strength of her last start. Okay, Grace. And who else do you like in this one? So the other one that I'm really keen on in this race at a much bigger price is a horse called Ellsberg. 
Ellsberg is currently $21. So the way that I'd play this race would be sort of my main bet on, on Trivier, but also then like a smaller win bet or maybe a smaller each way bet on Ellsberg to sort of get the same return for each bets, if that makes sense. The reason that I like Ellsberg in this race is that from barrier 12, I think he can settle close to the speed. He doesn't have to lead, but I think they'll be positive and find a spot um, you know, near the pace, which already puts him at a, at a tactical advantage to Entrevier, who'll be way out the back. But Ellsberg has been freshened 40 days since we last saw him race. I like that. I like that he hasn't had a recent heavy track run. He comes here with fresh legs. I think 1,300 metres is ideal for him. But just the quality of the horses and the races that he's been in recently, like he has been racing in weight for age races against the best of the best. Yeah. Ran third to Cascadian and Tafane in his last start. Two yeah. superstars. Exactly. That was in the all-age stakes at 1,400 metres at Randwick. And he ran really well there. It was on a heavy track. So he's raced a lot on heavy tracks all through Sydney. But I like that he's been given a month and a half since then to just – freshen and tick over and get really happy again prior to that he's was really solid leading up in the Doncaster which is a great uh, group one handicap he had 52 kilos there but I thought that was a solid performance as well so there's a lot to like about Ellsberg the fact that he can settle close to the speed he's been freshened and he brings superior form to this race um, for mine obviously it's been a target for the connections to have had him have a bit of a break and then come back for this group one. So I think he'll be ready to rock and roll. And at $21, I think he's a great little win bet or, you know, a little each way bet. Yeah, I had him up in my picks too. Like you said, just loved the form he's bringing in. Probably the best form out of any other horse in the race. I also like that he's won over this distance in a group three, the the Liverpool Cup in February. So he's tried and tested over the distance And he races well on wet tracks and also good tracks. He's very versatile. So you can trust him basically on any surface. Yeah. And like you said, Grace, he's just paying such a great price. Like Mm. you'd be silly not to have a go. I think so. (laughs) So another horse that caught my eye in this race was Away Game. Away Game caught headlines this week Mm -hmm. selling for $4 million at the Broodmare sale. $4 million. (laughs) You heard that right. Yeah. She actually got more money than Tafane, who's won four group ones. Um, An away game has not... Nope, she's never won a group one. She's group one placed three times. She's won three stakes races. But just side note, I think the reason why that is, is that away game is by Snitzel. So as a breeding proposition... Incredible breeding. Very good breeding. And also she was a very fast and successful two-year-old. Yes, of course. In a broodmare, which is what she was sold to be a breeding prospect in the future um to have that early speed to be successful as a two-year-old is really marketable and that's why she fetched four million dollars which is like unbelievable money but she's racing on saturday i know so (laughs) straight from the sail ring to the racetrack yep the only query i had for her was her barrier Mm -hmm. so in her last run where she ran second in a group one yep over 1200 if we look at her positions in the run, at 800 metres she was fourth and at 400 metres she was fourth. So she really lets down that last little bit mm-hmm. and likes to be on pace through the run. Yep. On Saturday she has barrier 18, so she's going to have to do a bit of work early, Grace, do you think, to, to get in that sort of position? Yeah, it's not a good barrier draw for her because she does like to settle on speed. 
And I think from barrier 18, he's got to make that decision. And because she races so well up near the speed, I think that they'll roll the dice and try and get across. But there's no guarantee that she will get across without having to spend too much energy early. So it's definitely not a good barrier for away game. Okay, Grace, anyone else you want to touch on in this race that you're so excited to bet on? (laughs) Okay, there's a little bit of shame that comes with this next statement in a sense that I'm going to talk about a horse called Brooklyn Hustle. Now, she is a beautiful mare and she is so talented, but she is definitely not a punter's pal. And it's now like put your hand up if you're backing Brooklyn Hustle because you need to go and like show, take yourself outside or something. It has got to that stage where even last start in the group one Sangster Stakes where away game ran second, that was over in Adelaide last start, she was $9 into $5.50 literally in the 10 minutes leading up to the jump time of the race. So punters just absolutely launched at Brooklyn Hustle within the 10 minutes leading into the race. And she didn't win. She finished six, beaten about three lengths, but it was a huge run. That day it was really advantageous to be closer to the, the rail, like the, the fence was the place to be. Out deeper, it was hard to make ground, and she's come from out wide and run the fastest last 200 of the race. Great run. She doesn't win often, hence why she's not a punter's pal, but I can definitely see this race working out to suit her. Jamie Carr knows her very well. She's in the saddle again. Soft track is good for her. Barrier five is the key because Jamie can just get her in a great rhythm behind the speed doing no work. She just needs to pick the runs, which she can be very unlucky, but if she gets the runs, I can see her running a big race. And again, she's an each way price. So yes, I've said it. I'm, I'm with Brooklyn Hustle again this week. You might love to regret it, but we'll see. Oh, we've regretted it many times, but she's such a beautiful man and she deserves a group one. Like she oh, honestly does. Can, can you see Grace's rose tinted glasses? Yeah. Because I sure on. can. Oh, they've been on for a long time. Jeez. That is race nine. Let's go back to the group two in race four, the size produce stakes. So this is for two-year-olds and it is set weights. Uh, really exciting race, I think, Grace. And we've seen enough of these two-year-olds now to have a little look at their form as well, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Really good point because a lot of the times when you've got lightly raced two-year-olds, you've just got no idea because you don't know, you haven't seen enough from them. But now we're starting to really get a good profile on them and what their capabilities are. This race is over 1,400 metres, 23 horses accepted. So that's five emergencies. Like this is a huge field. Lots of trainers think that their horse is good enough to run in a group two for the two-year-old. And I think it's a really good betting race. Now, the favorite is a horse called Resonator at $5.50. So this is wide open, like so many different opinions. It's going to be a great betting race. This horse has won his past two starts. So he's only had three starts, two runs back this campaign, won them both in provincial race courses around New South Wales on heavy tracks. Now, I know we were talking about this earlier, Fee, and you had some question marks over this horse because you thought maybe he's an out-and-out wet tracker and isn't as good now on a drier surface. Yeah, so just going off the last five results that I can see on Racing Australia, his last two wins were both heavy eight, heavy nine. He came second in two trials, both on heavy tracks. And then the result before that was at Randwick on a good four over 1,000 metres, and he came eight out of 13. And I mean, there might have been another factor at play here, but to me, I'm just like, well, that says a lot about this horse. Mm -hmm. Um, 
he is five dollars fifty. Like I guess he's not an out and out favorite, mm. but I'm just a little bit concerned if the track dries up too much that he's it's not his ideal surface. And it is a little bit of an unknown because we already talked about it earlier. You know, going from a heavy track win to then a good track win. I know it's not going to be a good track, but it can be a question mark. It's got to be some sort of query, but. Remember how we talked about the starting prices of the horses to be mm. a good guide as to how good the horse actually is? Yeah. What the level of expectation is from the market, the punters on the day. Well, Resonator at his first start this preparation was four sixteen to four dollars twenty, won. And then his second start, he was two dollar ninety favourite and he won. So for me, regardless of what the track's condition was, the market just says this is a good horse. He's going to be really hard to beat, and he won both of the starts. So I take confidence out of that. If the surface is a little bit drier and we're on a soft six, let's say, uh, he's going to still be really competitive on that surface. I actually really like this horse. I think $5.50 is a good price. And Barrier 12, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott will go forward as trainers, they like to have all their horses up on speed. So expect the jockey, Tim Clark, to be straight out of the barriers and trying to get him leading up this field. Out to 1,400 metres is also a new test. But I think that he's got the capabilities to to get that distance. And I really just like what he's done in his two starts on heavy tracks. I think that he's quite progressive. So he's the one that I do like um, sort of as the main win bet. There's another horse in the race fee called Liberty Steps that is trained by Lindsay Park. And he's a really nice horse. I'm actually really surprised by the market and how he has been sort of overlooked. He's $23 at the moment. And he's a horse that won a race at Caulfield two starts ago, an open two-year-old race, and then was out the back in another race at Caulfield over 1,200 metres again in what was a really slowly run race. And he's actually zipped home in some of the fastest closing sectionals of the entire day. He's actually done a lot to suggest that he probably shouldn't be $23 in this race, the way I'm seeing it. So I think he's over the odds. Barrier 21, not great. But at least I think with this horse, he's a big horse, he'll appreciate clear galloping room, even if he sits midfield somewhere a little bit deep, Um, you know, as long as he sort of got that opportunity to peel off and, and get into the straight with plenty of room, I think he'll be right in the finish. So they're the two that interest me in this race. But it's there's so many other horses as well. Mm. What do you think? Where, where are you sort of leaning? I think I'm going to have two bets in this race. Neither of the horses that you've mentioned, actually. Excellent. We're going head to head. <laughs> so I was going to have a win bet on Swiss Exile number two. I really liked that he's coming off a win in a group two over 1,200 metres. So mm. he's raced at this level before. Uh, and has won and then I thought he was paying quite a nice price as well that's also what attracted me to him he's paying $7.50 so he's actually the second favorite behind Resonator and Mm -hmm. just because I had those question marks about Resonator and the track and also I know you say he's a progressive horse but Swiss Exile has the experience at this level which I think gives him an edge by Annabelle Neesham who is a trainer who's just kicking goals yep um, so I really liked him because of those reasons. Another horse I liked who I was going to have a one by three bet on. Yes. Back from episode one, for those who remember, a $1 win and $3 place or whatever ratio, one by three. I was going to have a one by three bet on Twin Stars, number one, 
What I liked about him was that he won last start over this distance at a high level with similar weight. It looks like he likes a good surface and I'm hoping that, you know, we're in the soft maybe good on Saturday, which I think gives him an edge again over Resonator. The only thing I'm concerned about is the travel that he's done. He's gone from Morfittville last start to Queensland and as a two-year-old that's a lot to be asked of, I think. So two weeks between the two runs... It's really the minimum amount of time that you would ask of a horse to do that sort of travel. Yeah. So that has me a little bit nervous. So I'm going to go with a win bet on Swiss Exile and a one by three on Twin Stars. I definitely understand exactly where you're coming from on both of those. Um, but that's the thing. It's it's just opinions. Like I can I, I hear what you're saying. You're making a really good case for both of those, and I wouldn't be surprised if either of them won. But I'm leaning to the other to- the other two. Um, but that's the beauty of it. You know, you form your own opinion and you see how you go. Yeah. So those are the races we will be previewing this week for Group One Racing at Eagle Farm. It is a really exciting day of racing. Yeah. Let's just hope that we have clear blue skies and. <laughs> that we've got, you know, a soft track where every horse gets their chance because the worst thing that would happen is if the heavens opened and all of a sudden we're on a heavy 10 oh. and our form papers are going out the window, work. all of our work, have to start again, <laughs> don't have time for this. So that's what we're hoping for. So we have a really exciting episode next week for you all. Episode 11, we are going to be covering how to read a race and how to pick a next start winner. So do your form homework for the four races that we did this week because what we're going to do is next week we're going to look at those races, how they unfolded and which horses we think ran a race that is saying pick me, pick me for their next start. And there are so many different reasons or scenarios where a horse might not win but actually run a great race and the best way for us to explain that to everybody is actually to have a reference point to go back and watch it so that's exactly what we're going to do the races that we've previewed for eagle farm this saturday um, make sure that you have got your own tips or selections and who you think is going to win and see how you go but then next week we'll be able to look back and identify some of those things that may not have gone to plan and why it was actually a better run than it looked for certain horses so I think it'll be really good. Um, it'll really educate people on what to look for as well. Yep. You can literally pick out the horse and say, go back and watch the replay. Yeah, you've always said that watching replays is an important part of your form analysis. And it's going to be great to be able to break that down as mm-hmm. to what you're looking at yep. with the, these races in mind. So you've got a little bit of homework this weekend. Make sure you watch those four races. And also, if you have had a look at the races that we've discussed and done your own form please send us through who you like on social media because we want to see what everybody else is finding and you know the reasons why you're selecting that horse as the one that you think is going to win it's going to be a great day of racing on saturday and it's going to be an awesome episode next week to just go over and see how it all unfolded yeah exactly So make sure you tune in for that next week and make sure you enjoy your racing this weekend at Eagle Farm. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And please keep sharing it with your friends and family. Uh, Thank you so much, Grace, for joining me this week. Episode 10, so great. Done. Double double digits done. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, guys. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.